This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, welcome everyone. Thank you all for joining. Tonight, we are learning, and I'm actually pulling up, pulling up, here we go. We're learning tonight the Rafur Shlema to Yechiel Yosef Chaim ben Nepti Neri, and also to Le'ilu Nishmas Tila Bat Rabbi David, Chaim Yehuda ben Rabbi Cheskel, Shmayar Yosef Chaim ben Yaakov Yisrael, Zechariah Shimon ben Yitzchak, Avram ben Chaim Yehuda, and Yecheskel ben Avram. Okay, so tonight we're speaking on a topic that I, I feel is so important, and I'll tell you why I feel this is so important. This is a topic that I, uh, um, something that I've noticed very, very frequently speaking to a lot of people, Baruch Hashem, the schuss that I, you know, that I, that, that I has given me, that I'm able to speak to, to a lot of people, and I hear, and, and I, and I come across a very, very common theme in not all, not, of course, not everybody, but very, very frequently, this idea of living in the past. Now, the idea of living in the past there could be a lot of different, you know, factions into living in the past. But the one that I want to focus on tonight, Be'ezlat Hashem, with Hashem's help, is the something that's called the what-if syndrome. So the what-if syndrome is, is, is an idea where... You know, uh, there's, you could actually break it up into two, into two different parts. The what if in the future and the what if in the past. So the what if in the future would be to sort of, uh, double guess your, uh, your decisions. Uh, maybe a little bit on the undecisive, uh, side of things. By the way, this class is going to be a little bit on, on the psychology side. Uh, people would, will double guess the future or will do the what if syndrome in the future. Well, what if I marry this person and it doesn't work out? What if I get into this business and it doesn't work out? What if I go through down this path? I'm going to have some health issues. What, you know, all these what ifs in the future. That is something that we're not dealing with today. We're not dealing with the what ifs in the future. We're not dealing with, and this closely has to do with the undecisiveness of things where, where people have a lot of uh, the idea behind being undecisive is the what if of the future. So uh, let's say I'll buy this dress, I'll buy this shoe, but what if it's not going to be comfortable? What if it's not going to go with everything that I got wear? What, there's a lot of undecisiveness that, that falls under this category. We're not dealing with that. We're dealing with a very, very particular, specific area of the what if. And that is the what if of the past. Now, let me explain this idea of the what if in the past. So let's, uh, and this is some, something, so, someone rather that I've spoken about before. We're, you know, I, I, this, this person dated a lot is a guy. He is, was, he still is a guy. And, um, nowadays it's a chiddush, right? It's like a big thing. Like, oh yeah, he's still a guy. Congratulations. But in any case, um, you know, he, he's a guy and he still is a guy and he dated a lot of, uh, a lot of girls. And when I mean a lot, I mean a lot. Like, I don't want to give a number because then everyone's going to be like, well, I dated that. But let's just say it's well, well into the three digits. Like, like well, well into the three digits. <clears throat> uh, um, I've yet to speak to somebody who dated somebody into the four digits, uh, but this is really deep into the three digits uh, amount of dating. And I asked him, I want, to, I want them I was talking to him, this is years ago, and I said, um, out of all these girls that you dated, it, there was like not one that you could have married, like, like not even one? And without blinking an eye, without like, without, without, within a second, he was like, no, there was four. 
I'm like, what, what, what do you mean it's four? He's like, no, there was four girls that I dated that I could have married, that I, and, and maybe I should have married. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole story, the whole conversation that we had after that, but this idea struck me where how many single people are going, let's say they dated quite a few people, how many people are thinking, well, you know, like, oh, I, I, I technically, maybe I could have married this person. And this is the what if, like, what if I would have married this person? The more, the more unfortunate scenario is somebody that's married already and says, what if I married somebody else? What if I got into a different business? What if I got into a, a you know, a, to this business just earlier? What if I made this big purchase of a house, of a car, or something like that? Especially nowadays where there's inflation and there's so many things. People are always regretting their decisions. Oh, I almost purchased a house. I almost purchased a car before the, before the whole COVID thing. And what if, what if I would have done that? What if I would have gotten that? So in the psycho- psychology terms, when we look back in our life, in our history, and we see how things could have been better, this, meaning that it's that it could have been better that way that it was right now, we call this in psychology something that's called upward counterfactual thinking. And this leads, it's a very depressing thought process where you're living your life, but you're thinking back on how your life right now could have been better based off different decisions that you made in, you know, in your history of you being alive, whether it's five years, whether it's 10 years, whether it's 20 years, uh, or whether it was yesterday. There is another factor to this, and that is where you think the opposite, where you think how lucky I am that I made these decisions in my history, and it could have been so much worse. Like, how lucky, like, can you imagine if I didn't marry my spouse? Can you imagine if I didn't get into this business at the right time? Can you imagine if I, so meaning that you're going back in time and you're appreciating, keyword over here, you're having gratitude over here, on the past decisions that you made because you realize the success that you had. Can you imagine if I didn't buy Google stock, you know, when it first came out or when I didn't buy Yahoo stock? Well, not Yahoo, well, not really, but whatever, whoever's in stocks. Uh, but, you know, like, can you imagine if I would have gotten Bitcoin and then I would have sold it and I would have gotten it and then I would have sold it and then I would have known what I'm doing back because people are mining what is mining me and people are going and they're buying something that's not there and they're selling something that's not there and then if NFT comes around and I have no idea what's Can you imagine if I would have done the right things at the right time and I would have come to the conclusion that I would have been a multi-billionaire at this point in time. Or you could have been like, I did do those things by accident. Like I have, I have actually um, spoken to people that made tremendous amount of money in, uh, you know, in Bitcoin and other, all other, you know, similar cousins of, uh, you know, organizations. Now, like, can you imagine, like, there are some kids that made millions of dollars by putting their bar mitzvah money in there. Like, can you imagine, like, they'll be like, wow, how lucky I was that I put my money into this, you know, into this venture. So when you go and you think of your past and you think of how lucky you are, the gratitude, the, the, the gratefulness that you have, this in psychology is something called the downward counterfactual thinking. So when we, when we split this up, the difference really is focusing on what one doesn't have for the upward counterfactual thinking versus on what one does have, and that's the downward counterfactual thinking. Meaning that if you're grateful for what you have right now, this leads you to content, to happiness, to gratefulness on your previous decisions. 
And the unfortunate aspect on the upward counterfactual thinking, meaning that the, 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 the depressing thoughts of the what if syndrome, of the what if my life could have been so much better if I only I would have made different decisions in the past, that is very depressing. That is living in the past. That is where I, I, I say this also sometimes, and it's wrong. I shouldn't say this, but, and I'm sure everybody here knows what I'm talking about, where you have people that they go and they say, uh, you know, those, those famous words, the good old days. Oh, you know that, you know, like, so if somebody's over 30, they'll be like, well, the good old days when I was able to, you know, ride the bus in New York City for 75 cents, those were the good old days, right? If you're a little bit older, then it goes down to a nickel, uh, you know, but, but, you know, Let's just you know speak about seventy five cents. You can ride the bus, or you could buy two. I'm going to give away a little bit over here. But growing up, I was able to buy two slices of pizza, a can of Coke, and a small fries for two fifty. Like that doesn't even buy you the bread, the dough that goes on the pizza. Forget about the cheese and forget about the salt. Like that doesn't even count anything. But like I literally remember, I used to go with my neighbor. We used to go to, it was a pizza store in Netanya, it was on Avenue J, it's no longer there. Um, and we, that's what you used to, two can, two slices of pizza, a can of Coke, and a small fries. Maybe the fries, I'm making that up. I'm pretty sure it was, but maybe, even if it's not, like who cares? Like you can't even buy a slice of pizza now for 250. So, like, the idea of people going and be like, oh, the good old days. Like, n- that's not the way that you're supposed, the, the, there was the olden days, when you were younger, and that you lived. And then there is a present. The good days is right now. If you're living, if for you, your life, the good old days, is only the past, then that's it. Can you imagine how depressing that is, and that the past was only the good good days? What about the future? What about the present? We, we The problem is that sometimes we live in the past, and we can't live in the present and the past at the same time. And there are people that live in the past, and they cannot appreciate life in the present. And the problem, of the many problems, but one of the problems is, is that if you live in the past, then you're staying in the past. The past can't be changed. There's no time machine. You can't go back in time and change the past. So really, what we should do, what we need to do, is we have to learn from our mistakes, from our past mistakes, but not to live in the past mistakes. A key word over there. We have to learn from our past mistakes, but not to live in the past mistakes. There was once a king... And this king possessed a, uh, a very, very precious stone. He had a beautiful, beautiful diamond. Uh, one of the biggest diamonds in the world. And uh, for however this happened, you know, it fell, it broke, a laser scratched it, it doesn't matter. There was a huge scratch across this, uh, this diamond. And the king, you know, this was his, you know, like one of his precious jewels. So he calls the craftsmen, all the diamond dealer. He called all the, he's like, can you fix it? Can you fix this? And they all look at it. They were like, no, there's like nothing. We can't repair the stone. Like everything that they attempted to do, there was nothing to repair the stone. So he decided he's going to bring an artist, an artisan. And he brings this artist and says, maybe you can do something. All the craftsmen, all the specialists, they couldn't do anything. But maybe you, maybe you can do something. So he looks at this, and he starts looking from all angles, and he says, you know, this is such a beautiful stone. He says, but I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, I see one problem with this stone, and that is that this beautiful, huge diamond is missing the royal coat of arms. 
you know, every king has its, has its emblem, and, and it, there's, it's missing the emblem over here of the kingdom. But I see this scratch over here that's going across the face of this diamond. I said, this is a perfect starting point to put on the royal coat of arms. The difference between the artisan and, uh, and all the other craftsmen is that the craftsmen saw the scratch as a problem. The, art, the artist saw the scratch as the beginning of a solution. We live our life and we have mistakes that we've made. There are people that look at our mistakes that we've made, and, and I'm talking about us, we look at our mistakes, and that's the problem. And then there are other people that look at the mistakes of our past and see them as a beginning to a solution that we didn't even know we had. Meaning it's beginning to see something that we could be so beautiful, so amazing. The idea from learning from your past mistakes and using them to grow is so fundamental to our well-being. But the problem is, is that and psychologically and emotionally, but the problem is, is that instead of using our past to help us grow, we tend to many people, we tend to, to go and use our past to wallow, to dream, and to think about the what if. And then we live in the past. Like imagine you have a person that dated for a long time and they didn't get married. So then they start thinking, why didn't I? What's going on over here? What's wrong? And they came to the conclusion, they were honest with themselves, and they came to the conclusion that uh, you know they were being very picky. So what is the correct process to move on? Not to be like, oh, I could have married four people and then I could have been happy right now. No, no, no. But like, okay, wait a minute. So I was picking the bat. So now moving forward, let me focus on not being picky. We could use our past to our benefit and we're not supposed to live in our past. There's one caveat to this. There's one asterisk to this. And that is regarding tshuva. When someone does a sin and they do repentance, as we all should, when they do tshuva, you regret your sin. Meaning that when you're regretting it, you're, you're technically living in the past. But this is very, very important. It's part of the, the fundamentals of tshuva is to actually regret the past sin. And one of the reasons is, is that if you regret something, you're going to be more likely to not do it again. And one of the fundamental aspects of tshuva, of repentance, is to not do your previous sin again. So the idea behind tshuva, and this is the like, I was thinking about it. Maybe there's other other areas where you where it's important to live in the past, but I couldn't find any area other than this where it is tshuva. Tshuva, that's the aspect where you have to realize you have to have that regret, and the regret could you know should and many in many instances last you for a really really long time until you're six feet under, because that's going to prevent you from what from going and falling into the sin again. Now, putting that caveat on the side, generally when people think of the what-if syndrome, the, and again, not the tshuva you know, situation, but when people think of their life and the what-if, it's generally, generally people do that because they are unhappy with something. You don't think of the what-if if you're happy with something, meaning that when you lack something or you're in a difficult situation... Then you go and you start thinking of the what if. But if you're happy with your life and you're content with your life, you're usually not dwelling in the what if. Meaning that when we think about our difficulties, we tend to think of how we could change it 
which is good, which is a good thought. But when we think how we can change it in the past, that's a bad thought. So when we think how we can change our difficulties in the, in the, in the future, meaning how can we fix this, that's amazing. But when we think how can we change something in the past, that means that you're living in the past. You're like, okay, maybe if I would have done this, then I would have been able to avoid this, this situation. So the idea with how you view your difficulties is going to depend on how you view your life. If you you view your difficulties in a sense that you blame your past, which in some scenarios, again, we said it's important, but if you go and you sit putting those scenarios on the side, if you go and you blame your past, meaning that you're just going to make yourself depressed, you're going to make yourself sad, you're not going to be able to move on, you're not going to be able to, it's it's not constructive. But if you're able to go and be happy with the situation that you're in right now, then you can appreciate the past. And we're going to explain that. So bear with me if you didn't if you didn't follow me so far. So the pasuk in Devarim is speaking about the Miraglim, the spies. The pasuk in Devarim, chapter one, verse twenty-seven, goes and says that the sinas Hashem oisanu hitzi anu The spies go and say because of Hashem's hatred to us, He took us to the out of the land of Egypt. And now, what's going on over here? The spies are going into Eretz Israel, they see the land, and now they're saying that, oh, God took us out of Egypt because He hated us? How, what, what's the understanding for that? So Rashi comes and explains as follows. Rashi goes and says that, imagine you have a king who has two sons, and he has two fields. One field was very easily irrigated. It didn't depend on rain. There was a stream that was going right through it and it easily irrigated the field. Whether it rained or whether it didn't rain, not a problem. Then there was another field. And this field was very deep inland and the only way that this field can be irrigated, can be watered, is only if it rained. So who did he give the field that can be irrigated very easily because of the stream? To his favorite son. Who did he give the field that only has to be, that only can be irrigated only by the rain, only by nature? That he gave to the sun that he didn't like so much. So too complained B'nai Israel, the Jewish nation. It says, must be that God hated us because he took us out of Egypt. Egypt, but there was a Nile. There was no need for rain. The Nile was able to go and it was able to irrigate. It overflowed its banks and it was able to irrigate all the fields on the side. But instead he brought us to Eretz Canaan, Eretz Yisrael, and that is something that needs and requires rains for its sustenance. Even to this day. Even to this day, there are sometimes droughts in Israel. So there, Israel is dependent on rain. So when you look at it, or when you think about it, it seems like God hated us. Like why did God take us out of a land that doesn't need rain? Doesn't need, it's, it's self-sufficient. And he put us into a land that does need rain? That, that is required from it, it seems like, we're, like God hated us. But in actuality, it's exact opposite. In Israel, in Eretz Israel, the fact that it depends of rain, the reason, one of the reasons, that HaKadosh Baruch gave us that type of land is because He loves us. And He wants to hear from us. And, and, and when you think about it, when you give someone something and you never want to hear from them again, that doesn't show your love to that person. That shows the opposite. It shows that you don't care about that person. When someone comes to your door and asks you for charity and you just give them a check and be like, just, I just don't want to hear from you again, that doesn't show that you care about that person. It shows that you want to get away from it. Again, you're going to get rewarded for this. Amazing. But like, you're not interested. But imagine you have someone close to you that's going through a difficulty and you want to be close to this person and be like, okay, so what's your monthly expense? Your monthly expense is X, Y, and Z. Okay, fine. So I'm going to pay you monthly expense by month by month until you get it back on your feet. 
So one of the reasons that this person would do that it would be because I want to have a relationship with you. I'm not going to give you a blank check. I want you to come back. And this is very common from a father and to, to a child. A parent to a child, where a child goes and asks for something, so a parent gives them something. Why doesn't they just write them a blank check, even if they have the money in the bank? The answer is, they want to have a relationship. They want you to come back. Sometimes children forget. We tend to, children tend to be busy, tend to forget about the parents. But when the parents constantly gives us stuff, then we come back and be like, oh, you know, what about the monthly check? You know, forgot about that. You know, like, oh, we come, we say hello. You know, you're in seminary, you're in yeshiva, in Eretz Yisrael. All of a sudden, you have to call your parents every month, you know. Be like, how's it going? Isn't it amazing? You know, everything is well. You know, like, by the way, did, uh, is a check in the... You, you transferred to the Zell? Is it that? You know, I didn't check it yet, even though you did. I mean, of course, otherwise, why are you calling? Be like, but, uh, you know, like, uh, as a sign, meaning that you have a relationship over here. The worst punishment that a parent can give a child is to give them all their needs and never need to, to hear from them again. And this is the way the Rav Yitzchak Duak and Arabi Tachan goes and explain. He said, if a person, imagine a person that didn't sleep enough and they're driving down a road. Imagine they didn't sleep in the past 24 hours and they're driving down a road. What road is safer for them to drive? A straight road or a curvy road? So initially, you would say, well, a straight road will be safer because there's less curves. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you're tired, a curvy road is much more safer than a straight road. Because if you're just going straight in, in, on the road, and we'll soon see in life, then you tend to fall asleep. You'll be like, okay, it's just like, it's very stationary. It's like, a, you know, like consistent. But if it's constantly moving back and forth, so then you have to be up because you're constantly turning the steering wheel, you're constantly going and avoiding obstacles, then you have to be up. So the challenges in life, the difficulties in life, keeps us awake. We have to tighten our seatbelts. And we have to go, and Kedush Baruch goes and guides this car that we call life. And the worst curse in the world is something that was given to the Nachash, to the snake. Where the snake got a curse that everything that he's going to eat, it's going to be like dirt. Meaning that also, but that, as a side of the fact, is that he's, everything that he, if he's hungry, everything's going to be readily available to, this, to the snake. He can eat whatever, it doesn't matter. He'll be able to eat and survive. So in one sense, you think about it, and be like, wait a minute, like, that's the greatest blessing. Like, he doesn't need to, sur- like, he has food on the tip of his fingers. He, like, he's able to get anything. Anything that he needs, he is able to have. But in reality, what Akadish Baruch said is like, listen, I have no interest in you. Like, you live your life. I'm going to give you whatever it is. Just like, I'm not, a, this relationship is over. That's the worst punishment. The worst punishment is the Nachash who is able to do, eat whatever, and it's going to taste like dirt. It doesn't matter because it is dirt, whatever. If it's not dirt, it, does, it doesn't matter. There's, there's, there's nothing that he can gain from it. There's nothing that he's going to eat, uh, you know, it's going to eat a steak. It's not going to taste any different to him than if it eats a rabbit. It, it, like, it, it makes no difference. Meaning that Jibrahu gave him a curse that it says, you're going to live your life. Me and you, were done. That's the worst curse. Even though he's able to see everything, he's able to capture anything, he's able to eat anything, he's able to, 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 to survive on almost anything. But the relationship is over. And that's the greatest curse in the world. You know, Benjamin Franklin uh, had a famous saying that... They who have nothing to trouble them will be troubled at nothing. Let me repeat that sentence because I think that's an amazing line. They who have nothing to trouble them will be troubled at nothing. 
you ever realize you have some people that are very successful, they have everything going for them, and they get like crazy, use the words crazy, whatever, they get troubled at like the most stupidest things. Let me give you an example that maybe more people can, can relate to, especially if you read books. I remember reading books as, 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 you know, as a kid. Uh, I don't remember the last time I read a storybook, but, uh, well, I shouldn't say that because I read stories all the time to be able to say over here, but I'm talking about like a, like a, you know, like a fiction type of, uh, of, of a storybook where there's always this old grumpy man who sits outside and he's peering through his shades, and he's looking to see which kids are playing in the yards, and he's going to scream at that yard. Like, what does this guy have living for him? Like, what does this guy have? He has nothing going for him. So what is he looking? He's looking about his yard if there's going to be a kid that's going to come by. And, going to go, and then he's going to go get it, meaning that if you have nothing going for you, you're going to be bothered by nothing. The more that you have going for you, the less that you'll be bothered by, you know, the, the, the nonsense in life. The chassam sofer goes and says, explains it, Something so beautifully. The Pasuk in Devarim, chapter 4, verse 38, goes and says like this. This is speaking about the nations of Eretz Yisrael. It says, The, the HaKadosh Baruch Hu placed great nations in Israel before the Jewish people captured Israel. There were great nations that were stronger than you. The question is, why? Why would God put nations that are greater and mightier than you? Why, and, and furthermore, it says that they built great and fortified cities. Like, why? Like, we know since the time of creation, the land of Israel was designated for the Jewish people. And the Torah goes and explains that the land was given to the other nations, sort of as an idea of servants taking care of the land until the son of the king is old enough to inherit the country. So, from the beginning of creation, the land of Israel was meant for the chosen nation, was meant to be able to serve God. It was meant to be a land for the Jewish people. So if it was never meant to stay with the current you know, people that were holding on them, that were living there, then why have them strong? Why have them mighty? Why do they have to build fortified cities? Why do they have to be great walls? Like, Why is there any... Let there be a weak nation... That is, the Jewish people could conquer it easily. After all, it's just for the Jewish people. So why did God make it that there was great and fortified cities and great and fortified nations? Why did it have to be giants that are living in it? Like, like, why did this have to be, let us just go and, and, and have an easy takeover? The Chassam Sofer goes and says something so beautifully. Ah, uh, and this, this following, this following, you know, two minutes, if you bear with me, this is like, it's worth it. Like, Worth it for you to listen to everything that I said, even if you didn't get anything just for this. The Chassam Sofer goes and says that, you know, when we make a bar in So we, we make the, the, the after blessing of bar in We say, We go and we say that Hashem, bar nefashas rabbis. HaKadosh Baruch goes and creates many, many, you know, nefashas, many, many beings, many, many, you know, living things. And then it says something very, very interesting. The chesrenen and their deficiencies and what they're lacking. Wait, why are we making a blessing that, you, you, you know, it's a good thing to wonder. Like, we make a blessing that Baruch created everything and that they were lacking. The chesrenen, they were lacking. Like, why? If you think about it, like, we, so let's say you take a, a, you know, a cup of water. You make a shahakal, you make a cup of water, you finish drinking, you make a bar nefashos. That's the after blessing, right? 
So you make this after blessing, and you're blessing God for thinking that because Baruch created all the creation, and that he created it with deficiencies. Meaning, that the reason why I am thirsty right now is... Because I'm imperfect. I'm an imperfect creation. Meaning that if I would be a perfect creator, uh, of course we're perfect in the way that we are, especially your mother should tell you that, but, but in a sense, we're perfect because the created us this way, but our imperfection is that if we're perfect, then why do we need to drink? Why do we need to eat? We could be a self-sustaining, you know, a, cre- a creation that we don't need to eat, we don't need to drink, we don't need to sleep. Why do we have this deficiency? Meaning that we take a cup of water and we're thirsty. And we drink it, we make the blessing, we drink it, and then we bless God, thank you for giving me the deficiency of being thirsty, and now I drink from something that you gave me, and now I can thank you. Meaning that God gave us a deficiency, and then supplied the solution. Like, just don't give me this deficiency, and I won't need the solution. Like, what is the purpose of it all? So Chassam Sefer goes and says there's two important factors that we have to keep in mind. Number one, is that had people been created without chasronos, without deficiencies, no one would need anyone else. Our deficiencies make our world, our, our world interdependent, where everyone needs somebody else. As much as you don't like somebody else, or you don't want to use somebody else, or you don't want to ask somebody else for help, we all need somebody else. Everybody needs someone. There's got to be a song like that, because that's just like there's like a song in the making. Everybody needs somebody. That that that's just the basic human, you know, uh, you know, creation. I, you know, we just need. We 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 can't live alone. That's point number one. And the point number two is that who God planted a person. There's like a feature of thirst, and there's a deficiency. But through that deficiency, there's going to be a solution called water. And by that deficiency and solution, a person will recognize his creator. He'll be like, wait a minute, like, I'm missing something. I got something. Now let me think for the thing that I got. So we thank God. So one of the main purposes is that we're able to go and thank God. We're able to be, have hakaros we're able to have gratitude to God. Meaning that, by our deficiencies that God created, we merit both this world and the next world. So what we do is that we thank God for planting us our deficiencies. When we say, you know, when we go and we say, make the we're saying, telling God, thank you for giving me the deficiency so now I can see you. Now I can appreciate you. Now I can thank you. Now I can see you. So the Chassam Surfer says that a deficiency, goes and explains that a deficiency is really a kindness to, toward us. Now imagine we live a life with this mindset. That everybody, and I mean everybody, we got issues, we got difficulties, we got tribulations, we got deficiencies. But we could always look at something in a positive outlook. Like how many people go and they realize later in life, because they didn't get married right away, they began working on themselves on their character traits, on their, you know, on their anger, on their stinginess, on their laziness. And, and they got married a little bit later in life. But if they would stop for a second and think about like, wait a minute, if I got married earlier in life, who said I would have been able to make it? With my personality? Are you kidding me? Like, you know, that time, like, that's how I'd be able to, How many people started a business and they failed? And because of the failed business, there was another opportunity that never would have came. How do you build that they couldn't have kids for a long time? 
But because of that, they started organizations to help other people that have kids. Or because of that, they were able to give so much support to other people. Or in Mir Tashem, when they were able to finally have kids, imagine what type of parents they would have been. Because they didn't have kids. So, so when we go and we think of our deficiencies, when we think of our difficulties, when we think about our issues, there's two ways to look at it. We could look at it and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe if only I would have been had made this decision, then my life would have been so different. Or you could stop for a second. And in almost all scenarios in our life, every bad decision, every bad difficulty that we had in our life, we could transfer that thought process and we could find a positive outlook. I said almost, but almost guaranteed almost everything. Where you could go and be like, you know what, well, I grew in X, Y, and Z. And you know what? This will help me in A, B, and C. And we, we don't even begin to understand of how HaKadosh Baruch Hu created certain scenarios for us, even though sometimes we think it's our fault. But in, in the essence, when we look back and be like, wow, this was really for my benefit. So going back to the Chassam Sofer, he goes and says, you know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu created such great, powerful people living in Israel before the Jewish people conquered Israel? There was great fortified cities. There were giants. Why were there giants there? So the Jewish people could recognize the kindness, the chesed of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and not think that because, they, you know why they inherit the land? Because they're strong, they're powerful, they're able to go and overcome the army. If it was weak, you wouldn't even begin to recognize God. But God made it so strong to show you to the deficiency that you had, meaning that you had no chance. But the deficiency was really your greatest power. Your greatest power was the fact that you were lacking something. The greatest power was that you didn't succeed in something. Let's try to take this one step further. And we'll end with this idea. Rabbi Shal Salanter was known to thank God, thank Akdash Baruch Hu for every small kindness. Well, one time he was traveling with a few students. And he went, they went into an inn. And they wanted to get some coffee. And they got the coffee, and the innkeeper gave them price, like a really high... Imagine, imagine nowadays, hypothetically speaking, I don't know what coffee costs in the store, but imagine it costs a dollar. I know it doesn't. Uh, you know, frappuccino, cappuccino, albuccino, you know, whatever, okay, fine. You know, like it costs, you know, $27.50, whatever it is, but imagine it costs a dollar. And uh, he goes, you go into the store, and, you cost it, and they say, okay, fine, instead of coffee, coffee costing a dollar, that's going to be $5. So the students go over to the innkeeper and be like, wait a minute, it's a coffee. Normal price of coffee is a dollar. Why are you charging me five dollars? So the innkeeper says, you think I'm charging you just for the coffee? I'm not charging you. It's not takeout. You're sitting over here. There's a roof over your shoulder. There's comfortable chairs. There's a, there's a fireplace that's going on. There's warmth that you're able to go. You're, pl- you're paying for the ambience in life. You're paying for the, all the stuff that, that, that's going on over here. That's what you're, for the heating, for the cooling, for the water, running water. That's what you're paying for. You know, you have people that go into big, big uh, uh, foodies, right? They go into different restaurants. So imagine you go and you get a steak in a, a mid to low range uh, restaurant, right? So you pay, I don't know, I don't know what the price is going. I haven't gone out to eat in a long time. But imagine it's like in a lower place, you pay $30 for a steak or $40. Don't kill me. I don't know. Maybe I'm way off. Uh, whatever it is, $30 for a steak. Then you go to a high-end restaurant and you're paying $85 for a steak. It's the same piece of meat. One guy bought this piece of meat, another guy, imagine, so what, what is the difference? So you could say, okay, this one cooks it better, maybe this one has a better cut of the meat, fine. So maybe the food is better. But then you ask yourself, is it really worth double? For some people, yes. Some people are foodies and be like, yeah, you know what? That is worth double for me because, and I, fine, not going to argue with you. 
Food in a higher end restaurant is better and it's worth double for you. But let me ask you another follow-up question to that. So let's say you're a uh, scotch person or a wine person. Uh, it's easier for me to explain this through scotch, right? So you like, uh, so you like scotch. So generally, a bottle of scotch, a bottle of wine, they come in 750 milliliters. That is a bottle of scotch or usually a bottle of wine. When you go to a restaurant and you ask for a shot of, of scotch, uh, you know, like a, 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 you know, like a, you know, what I, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? A shot of scotch. How many shots are in a 750 milliliter bottle? So imagine it's 750 milliliters and it's not a large bottle. Then a general shot is anywhere between one to two ounces. An ounce is 30 milliliters. So let's go in between 1.5 ounces, meaning that in a 750 milliliters, you have, if if a shot is 45 ounces, you take 45 and you put that into 750, you have about 17 shots, right? 17 l'chaims in a a scotch bottle. Now, imagine this scotch bottle costs $80, right? So you have an $80 bottle of scotch, that if you do the calculations of $80 divided by 17, it comes out to a little bit under $5 a shot, right? That's every shot is $5. Yet you go to a restaurant, the higher the restaurant, the more they charge you for this alcohol. You go to a high-end restaurant, so your $5 bottle of, 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 sh- your $5 scotch shot is now costing you $18 in a high-end restaurant, $15 in a lower-end restaurant. Now you have to ask a question, be like, wait a minute. That's a more than a 250% markup. Like, what am I paying more for over here? There's no cooking involved in this. There's no different level. It's a bottle that they bought, got from the distributor. It's the same bottle in, in restaurant A and the same bottle in restaurant B. Restaurant A has a $30 steak. Restaurant B has an $85 steak. And it's understandable why maybe it's different. But the same alcohol. You're, t- you're paying $10 versus you're paying $18. Why? What's the difference over here? And the answer is, is that you're not just paying for the, for the, for the, for the substance. You're not just paying for the steak. You're not just paying for the alcohol. You're not just paying for the drink. What you're doing is you're paying for the whole scene. A nicer restaurant has more, more expensive furnishings. It has, they put a lot more money into it. So you're paying for everything that comes into play when you're sitting over there and you're drinking a cup of coffee or you're going and you're taking a, you know, a sip of wine or you're drinking a, a l'chaim of, of, of scotch. So when you go and you make a bracha of shahakal, baruch atah Hashem, alakinu melech alam, shahakal niya bedvar, what's shahakal niya bedvar? We're taking a glass of, of water. Why do we make a blessing shahakal that everything that HaKadosh Baruch created was created with His words? Why am I thinking God about everything? I'm drinking, I'm drinking this. Let me think God about this. What I got to think? Shahakal. What shahakal bar al-lakhvaydai? Because this broker gave me water. I, water bar al-lakhvaydai. You know, bar bidvar al-lakhvaydai. I'm talking about this. Shepard brachas. That's where I'm going on. Okay. This is uh, how I'm feeling. Shahakal niye bidvare. I don't know how many times I said shahakal bar al-lakhvaydai. Two different things. Well, not necessarily. They're actually quite similar. But we're not going to, uh, you're not going to get into that. Um, we make a blessing of Sha'akal, you know, Sha'akal Niya Bidvari. Everything that Kaddish Baruch Hu created, everything, was all because of His words. He created everything from His Ma'amara, from the words of Kaddish Baruch Hu. Why are we thinking of Kaddish Baruch Hu for everything? And the answer is, and this is something so amazing, the next time you make a Sha'akal, think about this, it will change your mindset. It's a mind-blowing idea that's so simple that we see it and we have it and we don't think about it. 
And the next time you make a shahakal, look around. You see a tree? You know why you're making a shahakal? You're making on everything. You'll be like, I'm drinking a glass of water right now, but wait a minute, I'm thanking God for the tree also. You're, playing for, you're paying for the ambiance. You're paying for the, for the seating over here. You're paying for the view that you have. You go to a hotel room, you get a beach view a hotel, you get the ocean view a hotel, to get to go to the ocean, that's free. But to look at the ocean from your room, that you're going to pay a 20% markup. It'd be like, well, you're paying for the, you know, you're paying for the privilege over here. You're sitting over here, you're drinking something, you're making a shahakal on something. Wait a minute, you look around, be like, wait a minute, I see grass, I see green, I see lights, I, I see a roof over my shoulder. Shahakal barakhwada, you know, shahakal barakhwada, what's going on with me? Shahakal niya bitvarai. Everything was created because of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's words. Everything. You're thanking God for everything. You make a shahakal, I'm thanking God for the view, for the scenery, for the chair that I'm sitting on, for the roof over my shoulder, for the air conditioning, for the heating. Wherever you are in life, you're thanking God for everything. Rabbi Shalasalanta went and he took this lesson of this innkeeper. He says how much the next time that we make a shahakal, you're holding the cup, you're swallowing the water, you see what you eat, you see what you drink, you smell the food, you're sitting down, you're comfortable. You're, you're, there's so much that we could be thankful for. There's so much that we can focus on. So we see over here that our deficiencies, the fact that we need to drink, the fact that we have deficiencies in our life is the greatest blessing that we have. Because then we could appreciate life. We could see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, We could thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is one of the reasons that we're here as a Ramban and Parshas Ba'i. This is the reason why we're here in this world. We're able to go and say thank you to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why we're thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all the chesreinas, all the deficiencies that He created with us. How important it is to see our deficiencies. Now, if we take that idea and we put it into the what-if syndrome, and with this we'll close, that if we look at our deficiencies in our past, and yes, sometimes we need to grow from our deficiencies, and sometimes we need to change because of our past, because of everything else, but putting all that aside, when we look at deficiencies, when we look at what we were lacking in our history, in our life of being in this earth, Instead of living in the what if, oh, maybe if I would have done this, it would have been different. Maybe if I would have married this person, it would have been different. Maybe if I would have gotten into this business, I would have been more successful. Maybe if I would have done this, I would have had children. Maybe, 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 what if, what if, what if, till today, until tomorrow. But if we change that what if to realize that our deficiencies, our what ifs in our past brought us to where we are today, gave us the opportunities that we have today that we would have never had if we wouldn't have actualized those what-ifs in the past. Then we can begin to appreciate our past, and we could stop living in our past. And instead of living in our past, we will learn from our past, and we'll be able to move on and live in the present. I can't specify how important this idea is. How many people I speak to on a... Like, like this is not just like one... This is like continuous issue. People that went through marriage and they got to divorce. People that went through businesses and they failed. People that went through abuse and unfortunately they, they blamed themselves. How many things in our lives do we blame ourselves? Well, if we stop for a second, instead of blaming ourselves, we would be able to like, wait a minute, it became, I am who I am today because of that. In the positive. And when we begin to do that, then we begin to be appreciative of our past. Again, it's difficult. Everybody had something going on in the past. And I, I'm, I'm not judging anybody. We all had issues. We, everybody. Some worse than others, granted. 
But if we stop focusing on the negativity, if we stop dwelling and living on the past, we'd be able to focus and live in the present and be able to create a better future. But if you live in the past, you're just going to be staying in the past and you're going to be creating the same past again and again, and your future is going to be your past. But if you're able to live, leave your past, your past, and be able to learn from your past, then you can be able to make a better tomorrow. So my bracha to each and every single one of us, that we should learn from our past, but we shouldn't live from our, in our past. We should be able to go and appreciate all the chesrenes, all the deficiencies that God had created us with, and God gave us with in our life. And with that, we'd be able to understand and appreciate the greatness that we have, the potential that we have today to do something, to get either relationships, either close spiritually, either for everything. We, we are where we are today because everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created for us. Let us use our path of our life for the benefit and not for the negative. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.